Hey, what's happening, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bum. I'm your host, Keith Berkelhammer. So today I welcome Philip Rauch from KP Aquatics to the show. What's up, Philip? Hey, Pretty how's good, it going, man? Pretty Keith? good. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so Philip runs KP Aquatics, which is located in the Florida Keys. But before we get into the conversation, I want to thank the sponsors for this live stream, both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine. Really appreciate them supporting the live stream. And I appreciate all you folks that have been tuning in or tuning in tonight to watch the uh, live stream. As always, encourage you to hit that like button. I see we've got over 30 people watching right now and only four likes. We've got to get the, uh, the likes up there so more people can find the, uh, find the stream. And while you're at it, subscribe to the channel. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. So uh, anyway, uh, Philip, man, can you give us a little background on yourself and how you kind of got started in this whole business, what KP Aquatics is all about? Oh, <laughs> we lost, we lost them. <laughs> you back? Yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear. I think what I saw, you touched your uh, your ear. Did you have your, your earpiece in there and that, that hung up? It actually happened. I knew it was going to happen. I have no idea. <laughs> when we tried it out, it didn't do it. Of course it happened. So, I, I saw gonna... you tapping that ear. I was like, uh-oh. Well, yeah. So, sorry about that. All right, yeah. So, the um, my question to you at the, uh, at the beginning of the show was... Um, can you just give us a little bit of background on yourself and how you got started in the uh, in the business? Absolutely. So um, we founded KP Aquatics in uh, 2011. Uh, my wife and I, Kara, uh, we took it over from my father-in-law who had moved into the coral restoration world. Uh, his name is Ken Niedermeyer. A lot of people actually know him pretty well, too. And uh, he had run uh, Sea Life Incorporated for quite some years and um, on the, the Live Rock site that he uh, actually established in 1993, he had Staghorn settle on there and uh, he decided to actually go more into the restoration world. And for our sales, I met Kira uh, in the United States. Um, I'm originally from Germany, but was more in the car business. And uh, her dad was like, well, do you guys want to do something as an entrepreneur? And uh, we're like, yeah, that would be wonderful. And Kira's been diving with him for a long time. Uh, she knows the business pretty well as like as far as the fish go. And uh there's certainly a learning curve when you get into it um at first. And um there's always something new to be learned in it too. But now we're into it. Uh we've improved a lot of things and we really like what we're doing nowadays. So for for the folks not familiar with, with KP Aquatics, you can just kind of give us a uh, an overview in terms of what you guys are all about, what you offer in terms of um, you know livestock. I think most people like myself know you folks for the uh, aquaculture live rock, but um, yeah, go for it, man. So um, we are a family run business down here in the Florida Keys. We collect tropicals. Um, Primarily, and then we also have our aquaculture live rope business. Um, it goes from everything as far as Gorgonians from the Caribbean down here in Florida, down to uh, any kind of other critters that you would need as, a, as far as a cleanup crew or a recorder or whatever, anything in that direction that we're looking for. And um, just needed to check something. Sorry about that. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> 
family run business is so I'm, I'm i'm in my office and there's always a chance a kid could uh escape from the room and uh come on over here so it's always interesting so uh yeah that kind of threw me a little bit off to the side and i apologize yeah for no that. no sweat man Seems a rocky start for today <laughs> so can um can folks um basically go direct uh to you guys so in other words go order uh, stuff on your website or do you also uh, supply local fish stores and and wholesalers how does it work so we actually work with a bright spectrum of uh, customers if you have our wholesalers we have pet stores in different par parts of the united states we do have our online sales where you go directly to us um, everything is priced at a de decent um, price point uh, to all of them and um other than that, I mean, we even work with public aquariums, researchers that actually work with uh, embryo studies on urchins. I mean, it's a full spectrum that's not just uh, in the hobby, but also into deeper depths of uh, other things that you're actually seeing out there. So there's not a lot of operations around uh, like you, you folks, right, in terms of um, being able to get aquaculture live rock. There's, um, there's another one. Is it called Tampa Bay Saltwater? Is that what... Uh... Yes, so Tampa Bay Saltwater, they've been around for quite some time. Um, I believe they changed hands not too long ago. Um, there are some other guys out there. Uh, primarily, I want to say they are all on the uh, west coast of Florida. Right. There's not too many guys here on the east coast. Well, basically, in the Keys, you could actually do the west coast or the east coast because you just have that maybe at some point like uh, half a mile wide island down here. But um, it's, it's a completely different ecosystem. It's uh, live rock is not always live rock. You find different animals on the rock when you're on the West Coast versus being on the East Coast. Um, there's uh, advantages and disadvantages for both sides. Uh, we, for example, don't have any problems with um, uh, different kind of anemones that are pests in there, Aptasia, for example, and uh, that's something they're working with. Uh, but they also have some cool algaes or other animals on the rock, which is also uh, beneficial for some other guys. Well, I'll tell you, man, you know, I think we we're talking about this before the live stream. We we're talking about uh, dino flagellates, and I guess we could talk more about uh, dinos, um, you know, as we get along in the, uh, in the live stream here. But, um, yeah, you know, uh, six years ago, I think it might have been, I started a tank for the first time. And a lot of people know that uh, I, I just always railed against dry rock. I hated dry rock because I had a, a horrible experience with dry rock in terms of starting a, a reef tank with, with dry rock. But, you know, I, um, I probably did not do everything that I should have done in terms of adding enough bacteria and getting that tank ready for the, uh, for the dry rock and, and cycling. So, you know, I made some mistakes, but it left a, uh, a bad taste in my mouth. And I sort of like vowed never to use uh, dry rock again, but uh, I have recently used dry rock again and it was a much better experience. But, um, you know, so when I, uh, when I, I rebooted that tank because it, um, I had dinoflagellates with the dry rock and I was trying everything possible to get rid of them. And it was just, um, everything I was hitting the tank with was just impacting the animals in the tank. My, um, namely my corals my corals were just suffering big time so i was like you know what enough is enough i'm just going to completely reboot this tank and i used um haitian live rock i was actually on vacation in florida about six years ago six seven years ago whatever it was and this was back when you could get haitian live rock and i found it in a uh, in a local fish store in the uh, orlando area and so i used that and uh, it was awesome i mean the tank you know after i rebooted was uh up and running really, really quickly, and and uh, the rock had some 
you know, decent amount of dio, uh, biodiversity on it. So it was a, um, it was, it was good. I, you know, it was, it was the right move for me at the time to get that tank going again. And that tank certainly thrived for, um, for several years. And I actually, I just had to, um, reboot it because I had too many corals in there. It was just, it got too jam packed with corals. And so I just decided to, uh, to do the reboot on that tank. But, you know, so once again, it kind of cemented to me that, um, Live rock is something that will allow you to get going much quicker in terms of the cycle. And, uh, you know, listen, I, um, I am not knocking the, uh, the use of dry rock because I know it certainly has its advantages and you can start a very successful reef tank with dry rock. But when I started my, uh, peninsula tank a couple of years ago, I, I still kind of like had in the back of my mind, you know, all my good experiences using live rock to start tanks and so i had it in my head that i wanted to use live rock for that new build and so you know i, I mentioned uh, tampa bay saltwater but I also um you know read a lot of good positive things about you guys and so you know i, I reached out to you and i ordered a uh, 100 pounds of what the, uh, is called the uh, the premium live rock and i got some i got some pictures here of the uh, the premium live rock you're not gonna be able to to see it Philippe, since you're not watching on YouTube, but man, it just came like, first of all, it wasn't that expensive to get it, um, uh, freighted in overnight and you freighted it in, in water. I mean, it was submersed in water, which to me was like, wow. And it only cost like a couple of hundred bucks, I think for the freight, maybe a little bit more than that to, um, to freight that rock in overnight. And it just came loaded with like coralline algae um, sponges. I'm, I'm showing the, um, the pictures right here. I mean, there was like serpent starfish. There were, um, um, well, pistol shrimp. I still have a couple of, uh, pistol shrimp in the, uh, in the tank. I don't think they're doing any harm. It's just like that snapping though. really, uh, can be a little unnerving. And as long as you don't have to worry about mantis shrimp or something. I mean, it, it certainly can be part of it too, but uh, that's the, not the snapping or you want in the tank. So I, I did, that. you know, so what, um, so I'm showing the, uh, the live rock there that, uh, so basically this, this rock, the pictures that I'm showing of the live rock were pretty soon. I mean, within a couple of days after I received it, I put it into the tank and my tank cycled like in a week. It was just, and I didn't have to like add any booster nitrifying bacteria or anything like that. I, you know, I just put it in the water and, and, um, it was like instant cycle practically. But, um, so you, um, so I'm, I'm a fan of you guys in terms of the, uh, the live rock. And, um, I think that, uh, it certainly has uh, its advantages and, you know, there are some of the, uh, the disadvantages. I think the one thing that I followed with, um, with, with your, um, you know, suggestions on the website was to dip the rock in a high salinity bath to flush out the bad guys. And that certainly did work. Can you kind of talk about that, Philippe, um, in terms of um, how the um, that, that high salinity dip will get most of the uh, critters out? It will get most of the critters out. It's not a hundred percent success rate on on it. Um, it's a higher dip to, uh, in the salinity grade. Um, I, I don't know the numbers right now off the top of my head what we have, but um, basically you actually prepare the bath prior to uh, the rock arriving, and then before you actually put it in your holding tank. I'm I personally am a big fan when you can actually uh, cycle and cure it at the same time in the tank that you're going to establish in there. Um, it's just has a better effect on on the rock as well as on uh, what it does in your tank itself. Um, 
there is uh, with the high salinity dip, you're also going to see when the critters actually arrive before the high salinity dip that you actually can grab uh, some other critters out of the bottom of the bag. Yeah, it was have, it was like um, I mean it was like unbelievable, man. I mean I could not believe how much life was. I mean they basically right. I mentioned that the rock came submerged in water, so it wasn't like yeah. wet uh, newspaper. It was like actual water that the rocks were submerged in and, and wrapped in these heavy duty um, plastic bags. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah, there was like a ton of serpent stars and which I saved and there's still, um, you know, I, when, when it's feeding time, I see some of these uh, long arms come out from underneath the rock work. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I believe it. I mean, there's, there's a lot of critters in there that we sell on the website. Doesn't matter if it's serpent stars or uh, brittle stars that are in there. Um, goes from like what we sell it for like 10 bucks online uh, on our website to uh, different kind of methwork crabs or stuff that you actually pay a lot of money for to actually get it into your thing and it just comes in a, in a big package and with the high salinity dip um, it can be 100% that you get most of it out and then you can pick and choose what you prefer and what you like and uh, but it's not always 100% of a success rate I'm, I'm trying to be straightforward that about yeah. it I personally they talk about bad hitchhikers that are in there. I think everything has a, a, a spot on in the ocean, and it might be in a controlled environment as a reef tank. Uh, it might be not the right spot for every animal in there. I get that, and I know that uh, the dry rug industry likes to actually talk about it, how this is bad, this is bad. Um, everything has its benefits in there. And, for example, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the mentations. Uh, there's lots of traps out there nowadays that you can actually use to remove some of the critters that you don't like. Yeah, you know, so I had I had a mantis shrimp that got flushed out of the uh, salinity bath. And, and I, I got to say, all the critters that I didn't want, I donated to my local fish store. And I said, listen, these these critters that I'm donating to you guys shouldn't be put in a tank with like corals or fish that might get, uh, you know, harmed by these critters. So it was full disclosure when I went and uh, and, and brought these critters to the uh, local fish store. But uh, yeah, you know, there was a mantis shrimp in there and there was a whole bunch of pistol shrimps that came out and and um and some uh, some other crabs and yeah i mean you're right it, it, it wasn't 100 percent because um i did have some other critters that uh that you know i found down the line in the uh, in the tank but it was no harm no foul but you yeah. know i would say like a a huge majority of the uh of the critters did uh, get flushed out i think i did and your recommendation was to do three different um high salinity dips right is that the uh, protocol that's what we uh, actually suggest when you actually not, don't cycle it in your own tank. If you actually keep it in a different uh, curing container, then you can actually multiply that every time. And it just increases the chance every time you're actually doing the dip. Um, just you wouldn't want to do it too long in that bath because it can also cause some of the coralline algae or some other animals that you want to keep in there to stress out and uh, maybe actually uh, make a little... Uh, stronger cycle on the tank or on the rock itself. So something definitely to pay attention to. Um, the other thing that I like is, uh, so you, you got the premium rock, um, still doing, we still only doing that in, uh, in uh, water at this point because there's only so much of it available to actually achieve that full coverage that we actually trying to get at the time when you collected. Um, so at one point I started to use starter rock and you were mentioning the Haitian rock that you liked a lot and there was still a good bit of biodiversity on it. Um, that's basically what our starter rock looks like. Um, I did take the liberty to not put a very very uh, overgrown rock on the, our website to not actually uh, 
get disappointment rather than uh, excitement that they got more life on the rock than I wanted mm. to. And we still ship that in red paper and it works pretty good. And speaking of trying to get uh, get some of the hitchhikers out, sometimes they actually fall out easier during the shipping process. But uh, there's a lot of animals still left in there. Oh, when you ship with like white newspaper? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When we do the slaughter rock. And people actually been liking it a lot too. So we're very You, you talked me into, I remember when we were, were going back and forth about this on email or something. You talked me into like getting with the uh, the submersed in the water option. And dude, let me tell you, that was like, that was a good call because I was just digging all the um, all the life and all the coralline algae. I mean, I, you probably won't get the coralline algae, right? If you do it on the newspaper, that might kill it. Um. The, it depends on the coralline algae. We have uh, a dark purple one, which is very sensitive. Uh, I think I'm pretty sure I explained that to you back then. About uh, And then we have the regular purple one. That seems to be a little, a little more hardier. It definitely makes an impact on the rock when you have that much growth on it and you would just ship it in a wet newspaper. There's going to be some die-off from it. But if you're looking for just uh, uh, bacterial biodiversity, then uh, you basically are as a in a good uh, spot if you actually get the starter rock on it too. I personally like the the in water option too. Um, I do advocate for the starter rock too in a way because not everybody has a Southwest airport uh, close by. That's kind of primarily who will be using at this point. And I, I myself, I only ship on Monday to arrive on Tuesdays due to the fact that I'm driving up to Fort Lauderdale five hours round trip and till I get home it's normally at 10 11 when I started packing day on at eight o'clock and some other people have the same problem that there's nothing close by to them so well, both options are, are I um, I'll say to the folks out there watching listening whatever that um, I drove three hours to the Albany airport so it was a six hour round trip to get this stuff and yep. it was well worth it so uh, you know that's I think where the southwest uh, the closest southwest you know hub was to me and uh yeah i think if you got to drive a few hours for something reef tank related and it's going to be a beneficial thing you got to go for it i mean you know we're all like fanatical reef keepers here right that's right yeah um so nick uh Mikalef has a question any long-term negative effects with having rock out of the water overnight if sponges die will you have issues with high nutrients phosphate leaching into your tank over time so i guess yeah question um no wet newspaper out of the uh, water for like overnight. So it depends on the sponge itself. There are some sponges that they are very sensitive to be being out of the water for a longer period of time, talking about in the shipping process. I do have some uh, encrusting sponges that don't have that problem whatsoever, just if they're like in a longer period out there. Um, it's kind of like you look through the rock when it arrives. If you see something, the sponges normally have like a little bit of a fussy look to them. And there is certainly a way that you can actually take maybe a toothbrush or something similar trying to remove or, or taking a, a tweezers to actually take those sponges off. It's pretty obvious. It's It kind of looks like a... a, a like a white fussiness on it. And that's when you would start removing the those sponges out, out of there. Um, Long-term uh, leaching in there, no, I don't think that's really a problem on that part. You would actually see it in the cycle process or curing process of the rock, and then afterwards there's not not any leaching coming out of there. So uh, Bert Minshew uh, comments, I just ordered from KP. Their service and packaging was first class. I can um, I could, uh, um, attest to that Thank as you. well. Yeah, yep. Um, yes, so... 
Philip, in, in terms of the um, the amount of time that the rock stays in the uh, in the ocean, you know, first of all, is, is uh, my understanding is that you're using dry rock and you're planting it in the ocean on where, wherever you have your, um, your 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 farm, your agriculture farm in the uh, in the Keys, and you're just yeah. letting it uh, be populated with the life and the bacteria and all that stuff. So how how long is this rock? Uh, like in terms of the premium versus the starter rock, what's the difference in terms of the amount of time it's soaking in, in the wild? So basically you're looking at a, for the, star, for the starter rock, I'm estimating around about a year to year and a quarter. It, it's actually in the water to actually starting to get that growth. It goes from that white uh, texture of uh, what the, the, the limestone looks like, the aragonite, and um to more like a yellow coloration, and then you actually start seeing the rock getting populated with uh, coralline algae, sponges, some uh, few uh, microalgaes. And then the premium rock, we're looking at a minimum of two years, mm. just depending where it was mixed in with other rocks that I'm constantly kind of flipping, looking, evaluating. So uh, it can also tend to take over like two and a half to three years for it actually to be ready. So if I just before COVID, for example, we had a big search on Life Rock. Um, that was pretty much the time when you were starting yeah. to order, and it just we did a lot of Live Rock, but it actually didn't become. It became a whole lot more, and then you're just trying to react on that, and actually providing just a premium product that makes it very tough because it's like a three-year-old, three-year-long uh, uh, process to actually plan for it. And um, yeah. I'm, I'm when I normally talk about the rock. So I'm until I actually get that raw product to my warehouse, starting to pressure wash it, get it into the ocean, get it packed, until I actually drop it off at the airport or UPS picks it up to get to your house. Um, I picked up that one pound of rock twenty times wow. and much. Uh, I want to say 15 times is 100% me picking up. So if you ordered 100 pounds, you can multiply that <laughs> off. I had to lift up that little piece of rock. Granted, underwater, it's not as heavy yeah. as it is on land. <laughs> <laughs> so you're what you're kind of turning it over and whatnot, just to, so like all sides can kind of get the uh, the desired coating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a downside to that, too, because you have other critters, you have all the fish that kind of swim around you, uh, picking off a couple things that like to actually, like coralline algae likes to grow a lot on, underneath the rocks, just not being out in the open, in the, in the ocean. And you have silk and sediments kind of settling it, you're getting it off. And so you kind of are trying to achieve like an all around 360 growth on it. And uh, but it just it takes its time and you actually have to tend to it. And then we, we were talking about it with you, like we might be just regular farming, but you also have uh, other times where you get to actually dig it out from underneath the sand. We just had Ian, uh, we were more on the outskirts of it, still had like 50 miles an hour winds here. Mm. And uh, you have the pile sitting there and there's a lot of sand that accumulates in there. So your one year old rock is in the bottom most of the time after your foundation that you put in there and that rock actually get suffocated at first and then you have to dig it out and then it, it does grow quicker at that point but it actually puts back production quite a bit what about you know a hurricane or tropical storm rolling through well how does that impact the operation in terms of the uh the life cycle of the rock that you guys are uh, farming 
So the life cycle, it just, if you have rock getting buried or knocked over and it lands in the, lands in the sand and I don't get the chance right away to actually uh, pick up all the pieces out of the sand, it just gets suffocated. Uh, the, the life on it, on it will die off. But that rock actually has been outdated. It doesn't take as long anymore to actually regrow. But 2017, we had Irma, went to Big Pine. We were uh, run about 80 to 60 miles north of uh, of the eye itself. Um, it took out around about half of our live rock side. We had still the foundation, but I was basically digging uh, holes trying to get to my foundation where oh. I, with my scuba tank, I can actually uh, hide in those holes trying to get it up. At, le at least I, it's not as bad as some other people had it where it was a complete loss. So it's my father-in-law picked a good spot for it. It's, uh, I mean, it's not bulletproof. Yeah. Um, Certainly, if you have a Category 5 or 4 yeah. directly coming over, you never know what might happen, but it, it does make a difference on the farming. And that's actually, there's always a risk involved in the whole thing. Yeah. When you're actually doing stuff in the ocean as far as aquaculturing. No, for sure. Um, so we got another uh, we got another pest uh, question here. Sammy 31D, real Florida live rock back then was a, a pest-riddled mess. Is this still a risk or is this an isolated area where you guys cook the rock? So I guess the question is, um, the area that you guys are, are, are actually, um, you know, farming this rock, is it less prone to the, uh, to the pests that, um, you know, I guess were uh, more prevalent with the, uh, the, the Caribbean live rock off of Florida? Well, as I explained earlier, it just depends on the, the, the kind of, uh, rock you're looking at. If you say Florida rock, we can be talking about the Gulf of Mexico with, uh, the other company over there, or we can talking about the Atlantic side rock that I have, where you don't have to deal with certain other problems on it. Um, I think the, on the top of my line, it could be a mantis shrimp that is coming out of there, but that's pretty much about it. But other it it would be more specific of what kind of pests he had problems with, and I could say yes or no if he was talking about that rock. Um, I don't know what he exactly is referring to right now as far as the pest. There's always something in the ocean, and pests is a broad spectrum. Yeah. I mean, for example, I had, I had people talking to me about vermin snails. Yep. And we don't have those on our rock. And uh, I do get certain, like, uh, every once in a while I get an email, for example, they've um, actually advertised that they don't have a taser on our rock, but you do have curly Q, corkscrew anemones on the rock. And when you have the little guys growing on there, people get a little, it, it kind of gets a little, makes them nervous when you start seeing them growing up. That You said there was not going to be any on there. And I can still say with 100% confidence that we never had an aptasia on our rock. It's always been a corkscrew anemone. And I think I explained and showed it to everybody very much so. And I never heard anybody saying that I uh, didn't tell the truth about it. I'm, I'm very confident. What's about the difference that. between a corkscrew anemone and an aptasia? So... <laughs> A corkscrew anemone, it, it's basically, it's it doesn't multiply and it it doesn't multiply in, uh, in the same spot, uh, amount that a, uh, an aptasia would do. And then the aptasia normally stays small as far as I understand it, and you just get multiple clusters and clusters uh, in there. And a corkscrew, you actually have one cluster, and you actually, out here in the ocean, you find uh, anemone, anemone, anemone shrimps as well as Peterson shrimps on there, same thing. And... Uh, you just find two or three out there, but when you go on the on the uh, 
on the base side of the Florida Keys, you see Aptasia growing and you can take a little pea, a little stick or a mangrove on there and there's hundreds of them. And that's just not what you see out there. Uh, but both of our anemones, but one is something that kind of get out of hand and the other one is actually, you can buy them on our website and they're just a habitat for uh, another animal. Well, you know, I, I can tell you that um, there, there are so many different ways of bringing pests to a reef tank. You know, it, it's not necessarily going to be coming in on, on the, um, the bulk of the rock that you start your tank with because, uh, you know, you bring in a coral and, and there could be a aptasia on the base of a coral. There could be, you know, a uh, vermitid snail on, on the base of a uh, uh, coral skeleton. So, yeah, you, you know, one of the advantages of starting a tank, and this was a big reason why I did try to start a tank with dry rock was just to try to avoid the pests. But I pretty much had every pest that um, I didn't want in that, in that dry rock only tank. So it's a, uh, you know, it's a challenge no matter what. Yeah. <clears throat> I actually, I've actually looked at my tanks. I'd never have to deal with, with the vermid, vermid snails or aptasia uh, is never a problem in my tanks whatsoever. That is something that you had to deal with, with because I only get it mostly from the from the ocean side, we call it down here, on the Atlantic side, in the Keys, rock or any other critters or animals. So even though I'm bringing new critters in all the time, let it be gorgonians, sponges, recordias, never have any problems with it. But if you get it from different vendors that get it from all over the world, came into the rock and it just multiplies there too. Not saying that's for everybody, but it's certainly always a challenge to keep those under control. Yeah. I'm happy I don't have to yeah. control this. Yeah, and there's also natural ways to um to to get rid of that stuff too. I mean, I I have such a lot of success using peppermint shrimp to get rid of uh, aptasia, and um, I've had um you know some battles with vermitid snails, but I just um, put in some bumblebee um, snails, and they seem to be knocking those things back. So you know, I think there's always certain ways to uh, address those um, issues. Um, couple more questions here mike hoppa what's the average depth that you keep the rock at so the average depth it used to be 30 foot at this point uh with the shift of the sand we're between 30 and 34 foot, uh 34 foot at our life work side so we have two sites uh one is managed by uh is a federal site what they call it that's normally three miles out uh, from land, and then we also have a state site. Uh, the state site is everything three miles inshore, but we don't heavily to almost not uh, farm on that right now. Uh, it's been just a little bit of a challenge challenge to actually have access to it because it's further down in the Keys and uh, the boat ramps kind of closed up. But same kind of deal. It's just a different environment or a little bit closer inshore. But that's the depth on the state side. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in uh, 25 to 30 uh, for range too. Do you do you um, have to worry at all in terms of about global warming and warming temperatures in the uh, in the Keys? You know, has, has that um, impacted where you folks farm the uh, the rock? And and you also we'll, we'll talk about this as well. But you also collect other uh, critters in the ocean. But has has global warming impacted your operations yet to to date, or is that not a concern at this point? Um, uh, absolutely, it has uh, impacted our. Uh, our uh, collecting for the live rock, not really so much of an issue on yeah. that part. Um, in the summertime, you do find uh, a couple of gorgonians, primarily like the stuff that's a little deeper that kind of uh, starting to bleach a little bit. But um, it also depends on the El Nino years, if you have them or not. Uh, but this year, for example, we we still had some of the um, the corky sea fingers kind of turning white. They normally come back without a problem on that. But you do see stormy calls out there. Um, 
one of the bigger issues that we get to deal with is not actually global warming, but it has actually something to do with the pollution down here in the Keys uh, that has started that came from uh, further up north. Uh, we had the stony coral tissue loss disease. And um, there was always a story when I first started that my father-in-law like, so this is what it looked like in the 70s or in the 80s, how great the reef looked like. Then you had uh, the diadema long spine urchins die off, which were the big radiuses down, down here in the Keys or even every, everywhere in the, Key, uh, in the Caribbean. And then afterwards, you just had a lot of like uh, stony corals die off from that. And so the stony coral uh, tissue loss disease is something that actually happened in the time after IVs took over the business. So different kind of big coral heads got affected by it. And then all of a sudden, you don't see as many neongobies anymore on the heads that you normally see 20 or 30 in the summertime. So there's certainly effects all around it. I mean, global warming overall has a very good effect on it, but there's multiple factors. We have like water quality that actually also affecting our environment down here in the Keys. It's good thing is we actually are. So the 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 other collecting that we do is actually a limited entry fishery. Um, so in the Florida Keys, when you actually collect the other critters, you can only get into it if you actually buy a license. At this point, it's closed from another person who wants to get out of the business. And uh, you actually report everything that you catch to the state of Florida. So they have very sophisticated data of what the catch ratios and the, the data is on that. And it's been very often labeled as a very sustainable fishery because they're seeing uh, in very good numbers on the critters that they're seeing every year and not really any declines on the animals. I mean, some things go up and down. That's certainly, there's no question about it. I can't say that uh, I'm, I don't have an effect on it, but so does any kind of other fishermen out there. You're saying, okay, you're talking about mahi or dolphin fishing. Everything has an effect on what we take out of the ocean, but everything also has its purpose. Are you guys involved at all, at all in any um, you know reef restoration work? in the keys um so restoration am i doing anything actively i can't say that um i do support my father-in-law wherever i can on this um i've done one or two days in theory uh, also for volunteer work uh cleaning um but for example for us for me being out in the ocean um there's for example so my father-in-law actually spent a lot of time out in the ocean in the areas that I, he went fishing in. But you still, I, I came across a coral head of uh, Elkhorn that he's never seen mm. before. So it's actually very healthy and uh, uh, in good good shape. And they're actually taking genotypes from there and had very good uh, successful outplanting from that genotype that's out there. And um, so in a way, you're actually helping that you're actually finding stuff that somebody hasn't found on there. It's not restoration work, but uh, last year I came across a uh, Spanish galleon anchor that uh, nobody knew about. It just, we had Irma kind of excavating sand from there. And then there was another little storm that kind of took the powder off of it. And all of a sudden it became visible. You just dive in areas that not everybody is diving in because it's not always that interesting to uh, any kind of recreational diver if they want to see different kind of yeah, animals. No, it's really cool. All right, some more questions from the viewers. Uh, oh, so Sammy31D uh, was um, just specifically pointing out in terms of some pests way back then. He was talking about um, yeah. baba worms and gorilla crabs. Run into those anymore? Yeah. Or have, do, you, do you see them in, in the Keys? 
you do see the gorilla crabs down here in the Keys. That's they're not really primarily out on the uh, on the ocean side, but you do see a few of them. They're primarily with the uh, emerald crabs on grass flats and other places, but that's still out there. I wouldn't say no to that. And the dreaded bobbit worms. You guys ever see any of those? So that's something interesting. When I talk to Ken, with I, I keep saying father-in-law, but I should say so Ken, he didn't know anything about it. It's uh, So the ones that we find something like a bothered worm, but it's more like a unit, uh, I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but it's a smaller worm. We, the videos that people see where they have like a thick worm like yeah. this big and then they pull feet off yeah. the feet out of a hole, there's nothing like yeah. it. The biggest worm that I've seen out there it's probably the length like this. Maybe somebody else didn't have found something a little bit bigger. They do have some pinches in there, but it's it's nothing where I can say that this is anything like that bob worm that everybody is 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 uh, afraid of. I've, I've got a worm in the uh, in the rock that I got from you guys, and um, I think you know I think it might be a um, um, why am I blanking out on the uh, the common uh, worm that. Um, What's that? So it could be a fireworm or yeah, a bristle, bristle worm. worm. You know, I think it, it. I think it's a. It's it's a decent sized bristle worm. Um, maybe it's the other worm you're talking about, but it's it's harmless. You know, it just it just hangs out. And again, like in feeding time, I'll see the uh, the worm kind of like come out from underneath the uh, the rock work, but uh, it doesn't bother anything. So um, yep. you know, it's uh, it's perfectly um, uh, reef safe in my tank at least. Um, Drew Young has got a question for you. Does Philip dig or mine the dry rock locally? You use Marco rock, don't you? Uh, or no? I don't quite use Marco rock. It's basically, it's a very similar, it's the same kind of product, but I don't get it from those guys. They Everybody has their own suppliers okay. uh, they're working on. Um, there's different kind of places you can get it from, but it's not the same place that they're getting it from and uh, working with, but it's the same material. As far as I understand it, I mean, I'm not. Maybe there are some differences on that part, and I don't want to step on anybody's yeah. toe on that part. So this is a uh, this is a question that I was going to ask you from Barry Goss Senior, and I think it's a great question. So um, you know, there's a thing out there. A lot, a lot of uh, folks like to uh, use this what's called negative space aquascaping. So it's minimalistic, right, in terms of aquascaping with very small uh, amount of rock, dry rock, whatever, in in the tank. And so you have a lot of um, open space for uh, fish to swim through and corals to grow out. And um, there's always like some interesting shapes, and and folks, you know, have become very creative in terms of using buddies super glues and and um you know accelerators or what have you to like just make these incredible um bizarre looking um aqua, aqua escapes which are really neat any um any plans for you guys to um submerge some pre-designed or some of these unique uh shaped rocks so people can do these minimalistic uh, aquascapes are you talking about the shape itself, or are you talking about doing it afterwards? Uh, That's you know, the yeah, question. I mean, because maybe you guys it, put together some um, bizarre-looking, uh, you know, thing that you've already glued together, and and kind of, uh, you know, obviously that's that's more labor on your end, and and um, I don't know if that would be a money-making proposition yeah, but, for you, but yeah, you know, just something I guess where you would have more unique shapes, and and uh, sh you know, I guess you have a lot of um, 
I think I got some shelf uh, rock from you guys, but, um, you know, arches, stuff like that, that um, would be really kind of cool and unique. I've talked to uh, one or two guys uh, who were interested in making those kind of scapes, and we would actually uh, submerge it at the life oh, website, cool. which is very uh, easy to be done. But you're going to have to talk with UPS or with the airlines being really nice to those scapes <laughs> if you actually uh, ship it, package them. I mean, do you have certain limitations? When you have something dry rock, you just wrap it in bubble wrap and then just put a big box around it. When you're shipping something life, there's limitations to the whole thing. but if you have that, I mean, you can actually glue it very easily together yourself at home to actually make the shape that you would prefer or actually like in there. Um, I do try my best to actually follow requests if somebody wants certain sizes or anything else close to it. But yeah, but I had one or two guys actually ask me, hey, do you want to actually submerge something like this out there? And yeah, that's what we're looking at. And we do have a... Uh, we do have a, uh, a fish, uh, I think actually Marco Rock actually raffled it off a couple of years back in uh, Fort Lauderdale and a friend of ours in Wisconsin, John actually got it and uh, we actually submerged it our live rock site, the 260 pound fish made out of uh, the same material that we have our live rock with and he has overgrown, it's kind of overlooking our live rock the whole time. It's kind of a cool a little thing down there that would be kind of neat man you know but I, I could see that being difficult to kind of execute to have like somebody put together a really unique and act so you basically would take somebody's scape and you would dunk it for them and then uh, after a couple of years you could uh, pull it out and and they could uh, have at it if they wanted to i mean if i'm open i mean there's always a new business model out there and i i wouldn't That'd be opposed be cool. to that i mean i just see problems yeah. in the transport world but if you want to put something together and like hey i would to put this in my tank after years and like gladly i will take care of it down there i mean certainly there can be storms and some other problems that can go along with it but if if anybody wants to approach me about it and uh find a good business model i'm That'd certainly be pretty open neat man it. that would be uh that would that would that would be a great. Uh, that would be a great thing if you could execute it. Yeah, I mean, I think. I think the thing is, like, you have to essentially be willing to uh, to be there to kind of to hand the rock off and also to pick the rock up because, um, like you said, you know, shipping that stuff uh, in 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 a uh, in a unique aquascape form with stuff glued together and all that stuff. It's just it's going to be difficult for it to stay uh, together during shipping. And, um, so you, you, I, I guess you would have to craft something where it would be easy to break it down and then to put it back together or something like that. That would be the challenge. And then actually making sure that it stays alive with what animals you have on there. That's actually the same part of challenge. Like what bags can you find, which styrofoam box could you could use? I mean, if you can just use a cardboard box and you all put a whole bunch of, uh, uh, uh styrofoam pebbles in there yes i can see how that works pretty easily but not with live animals we need a back around it and you actually want something for the critters for the hu uh, humid in there the humidity in there just trying to keep it moist in, in a way it all has its challenges and uh for example one of the things that we're working on right now and it should be do done very soon we actually started actually using all of our like golf ball sizes that we have from the pressure washing and cleaning of our rock we submerged uh, a couple thousand pounds of it out there and it's actually something that everybody's always asking about using rubble to actually put in a tank in this sump and it, i the last the first batch that i i stopped 
putting more rock out there. I think it was like the beginning of uh, January. So that's been out there for a year. It's not going to have as much growth as, as the other stuff on there. But if you're actually looking for the bacteria bioload on it, it's been out there for a year and it might be a nice product. And I mean, if you want to put little pebbles in a, in a nano tank, that's, yeah. that certainly would be the, the, the stuff you want to use to actually get in, yep, into the cycling sure. process. Um, Planet Three D. Do you export out of the U.S.? I've not done anything in in that uh, part right now. The if I would have thousands of thousands of pounds already, and I don't know who would want to buy them at this point, I would be interested and willing to actually doing the export. I would love to send it over to Europe, Asia, or some other places. Uh, the starter rock is always an option on that part, and I'm interested in that. But the premium rock has been a tough cookie to actually come by it and actually fill the demand. If you go on our website right now, the premium rock is out of stock. You still can get the starter rock, but it kind of goes through kind of cycles. I get a couple hundred pounds or 100 or 150 pounds, whatever is ready when I go through the piles. And then it's online for a couple of days, and it normally sells out pretty fast, especially the stuff that goes directly to yeah, the Yeah, because I noticed on your website the premium uh Live rock, aquaculture live rock is right now out of stock. And you were just saying before the uh, live stream that it's just kind of like it's cyclical in terms of that stuff, in terms of when you put it up on the site, it, it gets snapped up pretty quickly. It, yeah. it normally does, yeah. Oh. Absolutely. It, it, it goes, especially the stuff that goes directly to your door with UPS. Um, that's certainly a big convenience in that part. Uh, it gets snapped up. We do have a wait list on there and but people are like, well, you said you had some in stock. And I was like, I, I listed in the morning, by the evening I get the email like, you're not in <laughs> stock, what are you talking about? And I'm like, just sold already. It, it's a wonderful problem to have, but it would be nice if I actually would sell it at the same speed and I would have yeah. everything available all the time. But there's a, that's the reason I came up with different grades. And there's actually, in my opinion, even a grade between it where you actually take the premium rock, something between, and you have to store the rock. And I could make that too. But every time you're actually taking a lower grade, you're actually taking away from uh, your premium side too because you're taking away uh, rocks that are actually going to overgrow to the point where you want to call it has, has the uh, the higher cost of freight impacted your business these days? Is that um, Is that something that's been really problematic for you? Uh, higher cost of, higher cost of freight shipping. It certainly has, has been a problem. Um, for example, we're talking about, so you said a couple hundred dollars for 100 um, uh, for 100 pounds. Um, we shipped it at a different speed back then. With COVID, you had a lot of problems with the airlines trying to get it from point A to point B in the, within the time frame we actually wanted to. So I shipped it at the higher level of uh, next slide guarantee and um, i shipped somebody 200 pounds to uh chicago and it was between six and seven hundred dollars yeah. uh, between the two it might be primarily more the the, the gas prices because that yeah. is a fluctuating uh, factor yeah. with the airlines that didn't increase it as much but ups for everything else you see prices going up more and more uh ups fedex they have a steady increase every year for six or seven percent every year and i'm not talking about this year yeah. where inflation went out of out of hand before too so you compensating i mean i i would i would love to say let's get away with free shipping for everything else because it's just it, one person has higher prices on the critters the other person does this it's just in in the end it still all gets built in there but um for example, one point I was trying to make, I haven't done anything. The premium life rock, I think there's 
definitely a higher price point. 15 pounds is $248 on the website, but I haven't changed that price for like two years. So I'm actually with higher freight prices, I haven't increased it yet. But at one point I will have to do it because cost of living is going up here in the Keys and I would like to be in business for a little bit. Uh, NSB Reese, any discount on the in-state shipping? <laughs> That's something I've actually nev never done. I would love to say I can do it, but I always, for example, if you live in Fort Myers, well, Fort Myers is a bad example right now. You live in... Uh, in uh, Vero Beach, and you want to meet me on Monday night uh, at the Fort Lauderdale Airport. We meet halfway. Uh, you get the rock at uh, at the air freight prices. Bring your own containers, and then, then we can even knock it down a little bit. But I don't have any uh, decreased prices for anybody in Florida. Yeah, you know how I got the no. Haitian lap rock home. I was um, in Florida on vacation. You know, my wife um, and I were down there visiting her mother, and and. Um, so I found the live rock. It was, it was, I think, um, you know, the Haitian live rock was sitting in the local fish store for a couple of weeks. And I, like, I hit the mother low, you know, and there was like a whole bunch of like live rock. And I, I bought like 125 pounds of it. So, but you know, basically they, uh, they put it in like five styrofoam boxes for me. And I was going to take, you know, I was, the plan was to take it home with me on, on, on the airplane. And this was not in water, you know, so these are just in styrofoam boxes, and I think they put some wet newspaper on top of the uh, the Haitian live rock. And I got to the airport, and I think they told me it was going to cost like 500 bucks to take it on the uh, the plane in those five different boxes, but um, or maybe it was 600 bucks. I was like, what? You know, I was like, I was like, what am I going to do? I gotta I gotta pay the money, right? I just can't leave the rock at the airport. But the guy, um, they they found two big boxes and they consolidated it. All the stuff into two big boxes, I think it was, and uh, it cost like two hundred and sixty dollars, I think, to get it uh, home with me. But it, you know, so it was in transit for like thirteen oh. hours with the what what newspaper, and uh, you know, it did uh, survive pretty well. But uh, yeah, you know, like I said before, I think we as reef keepers kind of do some uh, do some crazy things, and and um, or or some things that might not seem um, normal, right? So me going three hours six hour round trip to the airport to pick up your stuff and uh and and uh, submerged uh seawater was was worth it for me looking back and and uh yeah hey you know plan a trip to the keys and and uh you know go pick it up in person then figure out how to get it home uh, from there i guess that's probably uh you know i will give it that that's absolutely not a problem i have quite a few people like that like sh like to come by and they're like you actually get to pick out the pieces as long as i don't have any orders so like i listed the rock on there i need certain pieces that i need to have for that but people love to like pick through it and kind of look through what's there i mean there's going to be times when i freshly collected it i have a bunch of it in there and sometimes we've had a couple of weeks of bad weather and there's not going to be as much in my uh, my uh life or well, tank I in there but if you can actually i mean Small pieces and, uh, as you might imagine, odd shape pieces is the the holy grail. Most of the time, that's what everybody's looking I mean, for. I'll, um, I personally don't think we're actually looking at round pieces most of the time anyways. I'm but, showing the uh, the yeah. aquascape again that I created out of your uh, live rock, the, uh, the, 100, the 100 pounds that I used. And um, I could say, you know, I was nervous. This was the first time that I think I had gotten live rock where I was not able to cherry pick the live rock. I'd always been able to cherry pick the live rock. So I was a little nervous about that in terms of getting the shapes that I wanted and all that sort of thing. But as you can see from this picture right here, you know, I, I just created... 
I, you know, this stuff wasn't glued together. I didn't use any rods or anything like that. It was just pretty much two layers of rock. And, and, um, I created a lot of neat caves and there were some arches in the, uh, in the pieces that I got from you. And, and, uh, it was like kick-ass stuff. I mean, this is not a commercial for you guys because, uh, you know, we've got no connection here in terms of, uh, KP Aquatics and Reef Bum. I'm just, um, talking about yep. my own experience and how, um, you know, I think it was a very positive experience, but, you know, I think the, um, the porosity of this rock, and, and um, you know, the amount of surface area that bacteria can colonize on were, um, were big pluses in, in my eyes. But, yeah, you know, I would say, obviously, if you can go and cherry pick rock, then do it. But I could also say that, um, you know, if you do order it and uh, receive it uh, via um, freight or UPS, whatever, that um, you guys have some pretty nice shapes as it is. You can you can make a lot of aquascapes out of the stuff that we're actually sending out. I mean, I'm making sure that what I'm actually putting out in the ocean has a lot of holes, different kind of shapes in there. It's not like I'm gonna send you five baseballs when you bought it ten pounds or whatever amount you're looking for. And you're right. I mean, you you paid for the hundred pounds back then, and that was one of the uh, bargain. That was a bargain. I got. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got it cheaper back then. There was certainly a high in demand, demand that kind of came afterwards too, and just trying to keep up with the whole thing. But it's shipping it in water was, uh, I, I really liked the idea of it, and it actually turned into something really good. And that's the reason I recommended it to you. And um, well, nowadays, seeing what the success was with the rock for yourself, uh, as you said, you can, uh, you can duplicate that with dry rock too. It just takes a lot longer time. And you might want to, you can answer that for yourself if uh, you would be where you are nowadays, where dry rock versus live rock, if you would be in the same uh, spot. NSP Reefs right is saying, uh, I can be in Fort Lauderdale in four hours. <laughs> he wants to, uh, or she wants to uh, uh, meet up and, and get that rock and, and circumvent the whole uh, shipping thing. But um... That's totally fine. It's mo Monday afternoon to uh, night when I'm normally there on uh, uh, on those ties. And so like in the winter time, I'm like clockwork going up there. Uh, right now, we have a couple times where it kind of gets a little bit of a lull where it's not as much out there. And uh, one of the things that you actually always battle with uh, as a diver yourself and being like, we're a small family business. So I'm the one who is actually going does all the collecting for the live rock. Any other critters? Um, I do get a couple of critters out of Haiti, some other places, and uh, no, no, other, not other places, but I have one and other collector that helps me out getting some of the fish, but everything else is pretty much done by me. So just lining up all those times and dates, trying to meet with somebody is certainly important. Here's an interesting question from Sammy31D. I'm not sure you can, you can answer this, Philip, but uh, what's the benefit for farming the bacteria from the ocean versus seeding a large system indoors and using wild seeded rubble or bottled bacteria? Is there more diversity? I don't know if you know the answer to that question. So I, I do, do I know the answer? I don't know. I have my input on the whole thing. I know that uh, some other companies doing that right now, they actually, I don't know. So if you take it out of the bottle, there's no point of, of getting it from anybody else. If you, if you take a bottle, you can do that at home. You get, I, I'm not even familiar with the product. I've, one first one that pops into my mind is one from Fritz, I believe. Like you put a bottle, you pour it in there. You don't need anybody else doing that for you. Um, as far as taking rock that I have produced and you actually get it into a facility where you're actually growing it in. I mean, I can see the benefits to the whole thing at this point. Uh, there is 
what I'm wondering about is actually like all the critters that live inside of the rock that are important to it too, if that also has an effect on the rock itself too, getting it out of the ocean versus uh, uh, actually farming or yeah, growing it in a, a very sterile tank there too. So the verdict is out there. You to answer that question, but that has been figured out. And then I know some other companies doing that right now. Some have failed. Some have tried multiple times. Some say they have a handle on it now. I have not seen it. And we'll see where it's going to be in a couple of years. Um, there's something I've, I don't feel threatened with my mm-hmm. livelihood right now of what it is. The only threat I have yeah. is storms. But <laughs> we'll see. Uh, what the answer will be on there but i would love to hear input from other people what if that comes out at one point to see what the difference would so be. um before we t- talked a lot about uh or we talked a little bit about uh some unique aquascapes in terms of being able to submerge stuff uh, reef addicts merch is wondering do you um submerge any branch rock any any branch rock that you guys have i don't i don't, I don't have any bad so branch rock i don't have so the the rock that was always referred to as branch rock, what I know of, is uh, the Tonga rock. I don't have any Tonga rock. So when you actually when you actually submerge, it's a very controlled environment that you have there. For example, if I would take the rock that you have in your tank, I could not even put it back out in the ocean. I would actually have to kill mm. everything on it because the rock has been exposed to Pacific corals. Yeah, and that's something sense. nobody... Corals are wonderful, but you don't want to mix the environments. We learned that's uh, is a bad thing in that part. So when you actually put out the rock, if you want to put a new uh, kind of rock out there, you actually have to send in samples to the managing uh, departments, and they have to actually approve it and get out to you. Actually, there's like I have to actually tell them, okay, I need to, I would like to go collect rock, and then they need to know that in advance. Um, when I put rock out there, I have to tell them how many uh, pounds I have submerged. So they have complete control on there. But I'm not saying you can't have branch rock. I'm just saying first you have to go through that process of actually getting certain rocks approved, and then you can put it out there. Um, I believe, so we had Tampa Bay in there, and the, the new people, I have not met them uh, very nice people. They were kind of uh, when they were taking over, they were sending people over to my way. So very grateful for that uh, on that part. Um, they use uh, different kind of man-made rock on there. I just don't know how how that will turn out or how that will work out. I'm just putting a question mark on it. Just curious what other people had experience with that. Uh, so we talked about Hitchhikers Planet 3D. What is the strangest strangest thing you have found in a piece of live rock? <laughs> inside a rock um you haven't you haven't shipped any rock with any so more eels in it have you oh you had to think about that <laughs> i would say yes yeah, yeah i mean I was, to be honest i i all of a sudden had so i i do get rock so i get different kind of little uh fish that come out of it you get sometimes you get um rough head planets you get out of there but it's the coolest thing and i was just having a conversation with another uh customer and i can't I, there's nothing i can do about it so uh, long spine urchins for example the, the idea of urchins which are the non like the best yeah. cases you can almost have for that you're not allowed to collect them but if they're all the way inside your rock there's no way of knowing anything like this and we're not talking about i may have seen three or four in there and then all of a sudden they're going up in my tank and um, I used to give them to different people who were working on it. Skip Mo, for example, when he was in the Keys, he got him and he was working on trying to actually culture them and release them back out in the ocean. And uh, But 
I find that fascinating. It's just such yeah. a cool animal, and I would love them to come back and actually just populate the, our reefs again. Apparently, it's not very great when you stick your hand underneath <laughs> it when you actually get those spines, and they don't, they don't come out anymore. But I would take that every day over just having a, a healthy ecosystem that is without any problems. But that's kind of the, the thing. Did I find a GoPro the other day at my side? Yes, <laughs> I did. But that's not in the live rock side. But it has more to do that you take 20 yards further north of me and you actually have one of the bigger coral nurseries right around the corner. Do you, do you guys ever have to worry about pirating? People um, come to your site and uh, take rock? or? Um, I don't have that problem. So if you actually, so if you have my live rock site, then you have... Uh, other coral co company coral restoration right next to me then you have my father-in-law ken down uh, with reef renewal that he uh, founded and uh, started i mean there's always people out there if somebody wants to go out there at night um yeah that could happen but it's never happened it's just too many what people eyes. out there all what the time and there's a lot of eyes out there you just never know how that would go and I think there's, instead of trying to get it from me, aquaculture, trying to steal it from there, you would go anywhere in the ocean. There have been people a couple of years ago, people were uh, busted for it. And I'm glad they got taken out of the business because you always have the bad apples. And then all of a sudden you get all put into the same place and like, oh, the collectors, there are just, there used to be a stereotype. Yeah, the collectors, they're just catching stuff. Then they go drinking <laughs> and then they need money again. And they collected it at that time. All of that is pretty much. Oh, lost, lost, Philip. You back, Philip? Oh, you cut, you cut out there for a second. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's uh, because I'm doing this on my phone. I got, I've been getting a lot of spam calls, oh. and uh, that it takes away that you cannot block it. That's the problem on it. Mike Hoppa's got some advice for you. Place cannons outside the farm. Farms, pirates hate cans. <laughs> well, there you I've go. I've seen two cans on that part. I have that anchor was one part, and do have a couple spots where there used to be some. Uh, uh, there were was a cannon sticking out, and you can't see it anymore. But yeah, I, that's all stuff. That's it's not good. I'm hoping my fish actually looks around and looks over uh, my live rock set. So uh, we've been talking about. Uh, uh, aquaculture live rock for this whole uh, live stream. Let's 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 talk, uh, Philip, about some of the other stuff that you guys collect and sell. Um, Caribbean fish. Can you give us a little overview in terms of what you guys collect and, and uh, sell? Well, the most iconic fish that we sell. Um, well, not the most iconic fish, but the fish that used to be like the picture when you come to uh, to the Florida Keys. You have your Queen Angel fish, yeah. different kind of fish that come down here. Um, they certainly are still around and people still like them for uh, certain tanks that they have. If you have a reef tank like you have, that would be not really the, the right fish for it. So a lot of th things actually shifted to more towards um, at smaller blennies, jawfish, uh, smaller fish that actually have a certain amount of years of life cycle out there. So the fish gotten smaller, but not by what you find out there, but more of like what people can use in their tanks. And um, one thing that we always sold a lot of, um, I mentioned it earlier, was it's always been the Gorgonians. When you actually can actually get them from us directly, it just there's so much of uh, so many middlemen can be cut out on that part. We do always encourage to use our pet stores too. They they get a good price on it too, and they can actually sell it 
for the same price that we're selling it there. So I'm trying to always have a fair calculation on that part. And uh, Recordia, Swanthids, that's always been big sellers for us. Um, lionfish, we now have too. Lionfish. Lionfish, but it uh-huh. used to be only in the Pacific, but it's been a couple of years that they've been around. So it's not uh, no, not news, but it's something you don't always had seen before. And you do see fluctuations on them too. There used to be a time I had spots. You can go there and you can get 10, 15 lionfish if you wanted to. And nowadays you don't always see them all the time. Um, does it have in- environmental factors, different kind of spawning moments that you would have? It's all possible, but could it be also water quality? I don't really know. Um, lionfish, don't they have like a bounty on them? I mean, aren't you, um, if, if a diver sees one or something like that, they're, um, you know, encouraged to like get rid of it, yeah. rub it out? So we, we do even have derbies down here. So you actually, there's a, uh, so if you go out there and you catch one, you don't really get money for it, but uh, it's very easy to actually get a commercial license for it. It's not like uh, my my commercial tropical fish license that I have, that you have to have, that you can actually sell it. And um, not that anybody wants to eat their pet in their tank, but they <laughs> are really good eating. I'm not a fish That's what guy, I heard. But they are really good tasting fish. Yeah, that's that's what I've heard. I mean, they're gorgeous fish. I mean, if you got a fish-only uh, display, then uh, I think with the right, um, you know, um, you got to, I guess, pick your fish carefully, right? Because they might... Uh, consume the other fish in the uh, in the tank but uh oh, it's, it's amazing to see so back on the bounty for example what you're talking about on those derbies they can make a thousand then they get a a good bit of fame on there sometimes they have another five hundred dollars for like the biggest one the smallest one who brings one in alive uh different categories they have on there so they definitely have put a hurting on the population which i'm happy about it i in the years i i don't miss line fish line fish as long as they don't have a hole that they have disappeared into in a big coral head, it are very easy to catch. One of my favorite fish to catch when something is easy. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, what about any new species of fish? Are you guys collecting any new species of fish? Well, new species as in, uh, it's not like we're finding new species all the time. Um, I do know um, every once in a while, some other collectors... I heard that the other day uh, that they had seen a new kind of species of fish on one of the wrecks down here. And uh, for example, we have a couple of wrecks and you actually have orange cup coral growing on it, but it only grows on the shipwrecks. So that would be a new species of species of corals. You just don't see it on the reef. And I don't know why it doesn't grow on there, but it's a different topic. It's not like you want to go and chip away stony corals from a reef that any uh, recreational divers are using there there could be a lot of like user conflict what they call it we actually we always stay away from well-known dive sites that uh, other people actually use here and there I might go for something that uh, I only can find there but you wouldn't even like a rapid plenty you're not going to see too many or the normal diver would actually see them out there that I uh, would find in that area but we try to stay away from those sites because they're they're making a living if you have a, a dive boat and you bring people out there, there's no point of catching that one angelfish that's in that corner and trying to take it away from there. It's hard to turn away from a fish in that spot, but if you have only felt one thing on your mind, then uh, you focus on the species that you have. Yeah, makes sense. Um, well, let, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, the inverts that you guys uh, collect. You know, I talked about, uh, mentioned peppermint shrimp before, and 
my understanding is that there's a whole bunch of different varieties of uh, peppermint yes. shrimp and and that um certain ones will eat certain things and uh, i mentioned that um the uh the, i use peppermint shrimp to eat uh, aptasia but not all kinds of peppermint shrimp will be prone to eating aptasia what do you um do you have any sense in terms of the ones that you collect what uh, whether they're aptasia eaters or are they not sure. or that's an interesting topic on that part um so you actually have i think there's like eight or 10 different species out there if i have the right scientific name in it womandi or something what it's called that's the one that actually goes after the atasia and um you do get them out of the tampa bay area year-round they actually are bycatch from shrimpers that actually catch huh. uh bait shrimp quite often and then uh in the winter time so we just had october 15th is the start of uh, trapping for stone crab so they actually use bait for the stone crabs to go in their traps and those peppermint shrimp and i mean they, they are voracious when it comes to eating anything so you actually find them in the bay cuts so but my point is there are basically there are a bycatch and but the ones that we get here in the keys are like 95 percent of the time are the right species that you would like for taking care of aptasia same thing when uh, going up from tampa the tampa newport rich here i believe that's where they're all mostly coming from but there's a different animals that go in there that would go after this i mean a couple of things you get uh, from bycatch from other people down here you have different kind of spiny box and cowfishes that you can get from there but uh yeah, the peppermint shrimp, it's just a seasonal kind of thing. I'm pretty sure this year is going to be a little more scarce, maybe as far as uh, peppermint shrimp goes, because Tampa, I mean, I didn't get hit by the hurricane, but is that going to have an effect on the population? It is possible. I'm not sure. I've also heard that um, certain peppermints would even eat uh, aquarine flatworm eggs on the base of corals. Is that something that you've heard? I've not heard it, but believe me, when you actually get a couple hundred peppermint shrimp at a time, when you get them from the biocatch guys, you can actually go in there and any kind of dead skin that you have on your hands, you can stick your hands into the tank. And you have <laughs> 10, 15 peppermint shrimps on there, and they're ripping every little piece of skin that is dead. From there. Really? Yes, it's it's amazing. You can actually open a spa if anybody ever needs a side business when they have too many peppermints, putting it in there. I mean, there, there are... They're ferocious when it comes to a lot of different animal, of like eating, and uh, if you have a lot of them, it's very hard to actually make sure that they're not eating each other. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what about other uh, members of the cleanup crew? What, what do you guys like to recommend? You know, um, I know you, you guys have um, snails and hermit crabs, and and yeah. um, what uh, what do you like? You know, I mean, I've heard I've heard some people say that um, hermits might not necessarily be good for a reef tank. I've, I've uh, always loved having hermits in my uh, reef tank. I don't. They don't seem to uh, to last too long. Maybe that's just the, uh, the the species of hermits that I have in the tank. But uh, what do you what do you like in terms of a uh, cleanup crew in a reef tank? So, um, what I personally prefer, I do like snails in there. Um, the thing you were talking about, the hermit crabs. You're talking about the different species. A buddy of mine, James, he was actually telling me uh, that his red legs, the scarlet reef hermit crab, red leg crabs, don't have to have a long lifespan, but they seem to be really good on hair algae. Just you, you pick and choose your battles. You have something that an animal can do really well on there. And uh, uh, I personally, if you don't have to have crabs in there because you're not having bubble algae, for example, emeralds or mythic crabs, 
yeah, maybe something you don't have to put in, in there. But I do like my snails. We have uh, we always have a lot of aster snails in stock. Um, I do like the cereal snails. They might be not as aggressive, but they have a longer lifespan. They're not sometimes aster snails. If they fall over, they need a lot of help coming over and uh, actually getting back onto the glass. Cereal snails seem to be more bulletproof. And they do a fine job too. I mean, there's even other species that like to climb out of a tank. As long as you have a lid, you're fine. But they are really good algae eaters too. It's just they're inter intertidal that you find them. And that's just their normal behavior on it. You find the right thing uh, on there. Um, as, as you mentioned, like, okay, what do I recommend? Um, I don't like that approach. Oh, you have a 20-gallon tank and you need this, 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 and this, and this there. And I'm just going to send you a package. I don't think that works. It's like you don't have this in there. You're just spending money on something that you didn't need, but it came in a package. And uh, do you need it? No. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you. Uh, oh, yeah. You you talked. Uh, you mentioned before about uh, gorgonians and whatnot. And you guys uh, collect those, and and you guys also collect uh, sea feathers. How, how tough are those to keep? Um, you know, in a reef tank. Is there a lot of um, you know, extra work that needs to be done keeping gorgonians and sea feathers. Do you like need to uh, target feed those uh, types of corals? So as long as you have a photosynthetic uh, species, you're actually doing pretty well. Um, I have two or three species that we collect in my tanks. We have a cheap little LED light on it and do a little bit of a water change every once in a while. And they're just doing fine. If you want big growth on it, yes, you definitely want to have photosynthetic photosynthesis as well as like feeding them but other than that they're like one of the easiest beginner things in my opinion to actually mm. take care of. i mean when you get into the the non-photosynthetic ones the red and yellow fingers they get a little tougher and you definitely have to make sure that they're that you spot a target freedom in there but some of the other ones i mean it's funny when you actually talk about uh gorgonians you have so many different common names on there one person calls uh one thing, a purple bush, the other one calls it a uh, purple plume. The other person calls the purple plume a purple fe sea feather. So it gets very confusing. You're kind of looking at the pictures. But one thing, when you have the, the photosynthetic ones, they normally have brown polyps on them, and they're fairly easy to take care of. You actually can fill in a lot of space really fast. And if you actually pick sizes, or a large size, normally varies from like 8 to 12 inches around about, and you can fill in a lot of like water calm that you would take a long time growing any kind of other uh, stony coral in there to actually get it in there. But very easy to take care of, very beginner friendly. We have two species which are a little more sensitive to be shipped, which are the, the purple sea rot and the purple feather themselves. But other than that, everything else is very, uh, I don't want to say foolproof. You should never say that in reefing. But Yeah, uh, nothing's foolproof. No. <laughs> I wish it would be like that. It's uh, working in the in this kind of industry, meaning like in a reef tank. I've, you appreciate you working with living animals, and you got to respect your resource that you're dealing with there. But uh, it's always a tough cookie. It's not like you take a product, put it on the shelf, and then even you sell it, you take it off from there. You got to take care of it, making sure that it's in good health and making sure that you're not just sending. So, oh, there's something missing here. There's a problem there. Oh, it's going to be just fine. It's I'm very proud of my company. I pour my life and blood into it, and it means everything to me. And uh, I don't want to send anything mediocre out there that somebody will be unhappy with. Well, you got you got folks that are um, certainly uh, giving you guys kudos. Anthony 
Gustafson. Uh, KP Aquatics is a class outfit. I've ordered livestock from them a couple of times, and everything has come in quickly, well packaged, and in great health. No Thank disappointments. You. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Philip, is um, macroalgae, right? You guys also um, carry uh, macroalgae, in, including Cato. Uh, I've, I've used Cato, um, you know, um, here and there, off and on, and and um, I, you know, I, I've had issues in terms of it crashing. Any tips in terms of keeping Cato uh, alive? Um, for myself, I get the luxury that I actually could collect more if any problems would occur. <laughs> on that there you go. Just dip in the collection bin. That's exactly what you, what you could do. You can get more, but really, from what I understand, it's uh, just having it tumbling, making sure that you rotate it, you have good water quality that actually works in it. Obviously, it feeds on nitrates. Yep. And uh, at Iron. one point, I'd love anybody to answer the question if it's Cato or Chato. I don't know who is going <laughs> to make answer that question one day for me. What's the right pronunciation on it? Um, I've seen other people that do like sea lettuce, uh, for example, it has kind of the same effect on it. Uh, for us, you find it more in the winter months and you don't see it in the summer months as much. And I mean, you have shaving brushes, they absorb nitrates too. It's just having the right environment on there. And macroalgae is certainly something that we're starting to see more and more people getting more interested in it. Doesn't it blue hypna? And, but that's not, that's not really coming around here. There's other companies that specialize in actually yep. growing different kind of uh, macroalgae on it too. But it's just awesome to see what different areas that you're like, okay, I didn't collect this before and now there's an interest for it as much. I mean, I'm, I'm not even talking about, well, the blue tanks, I, the blue tanks, yellow tanks, I mean, the juveniles, they were not as in high demand. It's always been the Hawaiian tanks that always were yep. interesting. That kind of fell off the cliff. And now you, you, everybody, well, not everybody, a lot of people want the blue tanks as much. And uh, you've gone through kind of cycles. And it, it baffled me, me sometimes. Like, I haven't sold this for, like, months now. And then all of a sudden, I sell 10. Like, which article did I miss that somebody was mentioning? And it's just kind of cool to see all the, all of a sudden that goes in there. And like yourself and other people that I was talking to, who you meet, who has been in a hobby for a longer time, it's just, it's always fascinating to me. So microalgae, yeah, there's, I'm just basically saying this is a new, a newish kind of thing that you don't see as much. And a couple of years ago, we probably would have not even talked about microalgae yep. as much. Yep. Uh, a lot of benefits to using macro for sure. Um, yeah. Sammy thirty one D, do you offer wholesale to local fish stores? I have a brick and mortar store. Yeah, yeah. I do. And and so how can they? Um, how can just go to your website kpaquatics.com? Is that the uh, the website address? Yes, that is uh, the correct one. It's uh, so we, our email address is kpaquatics at kpaquatics.com, or you go to the contact us uh, page. Um, normally the, at KP Aquatics catches all those emails and uh, going in there. We do like uh, stores that kind of like to order a, a bigger array of uh, different animals from us. We go through spurts. Um, one downside being a small business and me being the diver, I meant, tried to mention it earlier, like I've had problems with an ear infections for like a couple of weeks now. So now the stock has been depleted. Then um, one thing that's been ongoing right now, you have problems with critters coming out of Haiti. There's civil unrest down there. There's no critters really coming out of that area. So certain stocks kind of deplete and go up and down. And it's not always available. I will try to help everybody as much as I can on uh, on collecting it for them and um yeah 
we always appreciate new business on that part. We want to grow and uh, have great new customers. It's amazing. I've, the customers that we had from uh, Ken from back in the day, we still have a lot of those guys too. And I picked up new guys. Doesn't matter if it's in Baton Rouge or somewhere else in Chicago or uh, on the West Coast that we picked up. And it's just cool to see who wants to order from us and uh, what kind of background they have. Well, it sounds like Sammy Thirty One D is going to uh, going to uh, uh, sign up with you folks. They do pretty big orders, so. Oh, awesome! I'm looking forward to. That. Yeah. Um, all right, Philip, man, any, uh, any, any final words as we wrap it up tonight? Well, um, we really, well, we, I always say we, because it's basically, it's 50% care of 50% uh, Philip's business on that part. It's always good to getting submerged and talking to somebody who's been in a business for quite some time. And as you talked about, it was just uh, nice to actually get in contact with you again, seeing what the success has been with our life. It makes me proud. It's something that I see as a long-term project for ourselves. And I just really enjoyed our talk on that part. And if you ever come down here in the Keys, give us a holiday. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be actually going to the Keys. My wife and I are going, um, I forget which key we're going to in, in April. So um, I'll have to see if, uh, I, I think we're going to be driving back from wherever we are in the Keys to uh, Miami. So I'll have to uh, make, make a uh, stop and, and check out the operation. That sounds good. I mean, we're nothing fancy. It's a very, it's a very low tech but very efficient kind of setup that's been set up a couple of years ago it's nothing fancy as far as a pet store goes but come on by have check it out if you uh as it sounds like you fly, might be flying into key west but other than yeah. that the upper keys uh you start getting into the keys when you get into mile marker 104 and then key west is zero so if you flew in somewhere else you have to drive by me and come back and i'm basically just 10 yards off the highway it's not a big island chain on yeah. that part. It's, but it's not very wide yeah, that's what I've heard. Um, all right, cool, man. So people just go to kpaquatics.com, check out your stuff, and that's how they get a hold of you. That, and they could also purchase directly um, from you if they wanted to to, uh, to go that route. Cool. Absolutely. All right, Philip, man. Well, thank you very much, dude. This was a uh, very enlightening uh, chat. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you, and I and I want to thank um, you for taking the time to uh, to join us tonight. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So that's going to do it, folks, this, this, this show. I want to give uh, my thanks again to Philip for um, doing the live stream tonight. And I also want to thank also both Bulk Reef Supply and Ecotech Marine for sponsoring the live stream and for you folks tuning in and um, adding to the uh, conversation. Really appreciate that. Also, thank you to Paul, the moderator. I also want to let you know that all episodes of Rap on Reef Bomb are available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Amazon. My next live stream is not going to be a wrapping with reef bomb. It's going to be a live coral show. So I'm going to be selling some frags right here on YouTube this Sunday, October 23rd at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. There'll um, be some really sweet SPS frags up for sale. I'm going to throw in a couple of um, LPS frags as well. My next wrapping with reef bomb live stream will be on Thursday, October 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Kim Koch. Koch. Um, I'll get that pronunciation correct. Um, she represents the West Hawaii Aquarium Fishermen, so that should be a very interesting uh, episode given the news out of Hawaii recently. So if you want to check out the full upcoming schedule of guests, visit reefbum.com under the YouTube section. Until then, be safe and be well, and we will see you next time.